The Sacred Changemakers podcast is supported by Coaches Business School, helping the world's most caring coaches build a purpose-driven and profitable business that makes a meaningful impact in our world. Check out their unique frameworks and methods to help you transform and grow your business. Now is the time to build a bridge from what you want in life to include what the world needs. You can do well in business and do good, and together we can make a meaningful difference. Find out more at coachesbusinessschool.com. Hey there, and welcome back to the Sacred Changemakers podcast. This is episode 92, Democratizing Organizations to Democratize the World. Now, our guest on the podcast today is Ralph Herfliger. He's an organizational development consultant, and Ralph has a deep purpose and passion to support organizations in their transformational change process to help them raise consciousness and lead them to the very essence of what makes them great. Now, Ralph lives in Switzerland, and as a citizen of that country, he is a, well, he describes it as a, being a member of a true democracy and having a say in how the country is run. And this has truly inspired his passion to democratize organizations and, of course, the, the ripple effect that this would have on the world. Now, in our conversation, you're going to hear Ralph talk about his passion of helping leaders shift from feudalism to democracy and the immense benefits that brings to humanity. He shares some great examples of the benefits of systems thinking and creating role-based organizations where everyone understands the value that they bring. He shares how profit is a direct result of value. And he also shares his vision for the future of business where everyone is included and engaged in their work. And that sounds to me like a world where we could all thrive. Now, what struck me about this conversation was how easy and obvious these changes are, how Ralph is able to work with leaders to create safety, to hold the space for the ideas of every single employee to be heard, and how when leaders are able to embrace a, a different perspective, like a, a different worldview on their organizational systems, energy, ideas, insights, and innovation just flows. So if you're a leader or a consultant, or maybe you just work within organizational life, I think you're going to gain some great insights from Ralph that will help to inspire you to perhaps harness the energy of your organization. So with that said, let me introduce you to Ralph Herfliger. Hey, Ralph, thanks for stopping by the Sacred Changemakers podcast. Thanks, Jane. Thank you. Okay, I'm so, so happy to be here. Well, I can't tell you. I'm really excited about talking to you today. Your your work in the world is so inspiring to me. So I'm really looking forward to digging in. And I know our audience will really enjoy this conversation. So let's start kind of where we always do. Our audience have just heard your professional bio. So they know something about kind of your professional persona, let's say. But I'd love to take you kind of behind that and get you to share something about the real life human that lies behind behind that bio who is he <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's a it's a person who 
I like very much nature and to be connected with nature. So I was in the lake today. Oh. I'm, I'm living at the Lake of Zurich, so it's very close to 100 meters. I was swimming. I was in the in the woods today jogging. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I was even working at the lake actually because it's so hot now that to work under a tree is uh, much more beautiful than working in the office. So I'm. What I want to say with this is that I'm uh, very sensual and very very connected to, to to nature. I love to hike. I love to climb. I will climb the Matterhorn, the oh. highest mountain in Switzerland this, yes. this summer in August. And yeah, and I have two daughters. And with the older one, she she goes with me. So we will climb together. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> We do also a lot of ski tours uh, together, and yeah, I think that's a that's a one big part, and the other part is music and dancing. That's that's the another private part of mine that I love to do. Oh, lovely! <laughs> to music and to dance, um, free dance, but also uh, salsa, bachata, kizomba, <laughs> partner wow. dance. Yeah. Wow. You know, and as you're speaking there, I can just feel the joy kind of emanating from your being as you're speaking yeah. about these different things. And you yeah. know what's striking me as you're talking out of all the podcasts I've done in many ways, you know, people talk about themselves and their lives. And and yet I don't think I've ever noticed so much joy just radiating from someone when they speak about their life, because in our world today, particularly in the Western world, I think it can be unusual for us to really craft a life that has so many different facets and really aligns with, I'm going to say our soul, because that's what it felt like when you were speaking then. You were speaking from your soul, which I just love. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe it comes, maybe it comes from, from the last weekend. I was in a weekend where we did um, acro yoga in the mountains mm. and the topic was connection. Mm. So to connect <laughs> on right. all levels, on all different levels. So maybe I'm still influenced with that. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and connection is so very important, isn't it? The depth of connection that we create. And I think that begins with ourselves as well as then being in a position where, you know, we really can start to share that joy in connection with others. So thank you for that. It's really refreshing to hear you speak to that. Now, I'd love to know a little bit about your your passion, your career, like the changes that you want to take a stand for in the world. Do you want to explain some of that for us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the fil rouge in my life is... I would say is systems. I was always and I am interested in how systems work. And as a child, I was interested in how airplanes <laughs> function, you know? How can something fly that is heavier than air? You know? right. And later, the, the electronic stuff, uh, radio trans transmitters and so. And then we got the computer in high school, the first Apple IIe computer. And I was fascinated how this system works. And I studied um, computer science. And during the study, I realized, oh, oops, the most complex system are human systems. 
Right. And then <laughs> I went totally into that. I, I studied psychology and and I, I, the connection between business, between IT and, and human systems, uh, that, that brought me then to my job that I have now since over 30 years, that I'm a, a transformation coach for organizational development and culture change. So how do systems work and how should they be built that they fulfill their purpose best? Mm-hmm. and that they serve humanity, you know. So regarding organization, that is a pleasure to work there because we spend so much time in organizations. So it should be a pleasure to work them there. So that's, that's my passion. So how do we design organizations? Mm-hmm. I for, love that. For humanity. Yeah. You know, I love that. And there's a thread going back to your previous weekend in the connections here when you talk about systems. And I'm just going to kind of take you back to kind of that six systems, design systems, thinking kind of perspective, because I'm aware that some of our audience might not really understand what that means. So I wonder if you can just walk us through a little bit about why the systems perspective is so very important in organizational life. Yeah, yes, um, because there is not enough attention. <laughs> That's my observation. There is not enough awareness how the system, and with system I mean the structure, so mm-hmm. how we are organized. With system I mean processes, I mean tools and instruments. With systems, I mean also the soft factors that influence behavior, like values, like norms and rules. So all this is tremendously influencing our lives and our behavior. Mm-hmm. And people are not aware. So I say, I compare it sometimes like a car. You know, you have a car and they people, they go into the car and they drive. And they... They just drive and they never think about the system that helps them or makes 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 it possible <laughs> that they can right. drive. So, so basically, it's the difference between working in the system, which is driving, and working at the system, which is creating a car and streets where you can drive. You know? mm-hmm. And. My observation is that, especially in management, there is little attention about the importance of the system, how it influences them. Mm. Until something happens, <laughs> and then it gives, then they start the big reorganization, <laughs> and then you reorganize, and then they forget again, you know. So, right. And, that's the, my passion now in the last uh, couple of years that I more and more, I, I was more interested in not only changing a system, but doing second order change, which means to enable people or the organization and the people in the organization to enable them that they can, can change and improve the system by themselves. Right. So... I call it second order organizational development. First order organizational development is you change the system from A to B, 
where what is A and what is B is part of the process. <laughs> That's right. first order. And second order changes, you enable the system that they themselves can change the system, which makes them super agile. So mm -hmm. because you can adapt easily, it makes them resilient and innovative and more and more productive because you continuously improve your system. Yeah. And one of the things I notice from my own corporate career is how when I first go into uh, an organization, it's like the system is invisible. It's almost like people are not aware what's actually happening in those connections in between. Maybe it's processes and people, maybe it's people and people, whatever it is, all those like that space of, I don't know what, to really call it but so in, in a spiritual sense I sometimes think of it as interbeing as well like that that space that emerges between people and things within the system mm. and the processes and I just wonder you know what's possible for an organization or for a, a leader when they start to raise their awareness and maybe become more intentional about those hidden pieces that are really running the show Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, what what I'm what I'm fascinated from the beginning on when I when I did organizational development with my clients thirty years ago. My fascination was that if we create a space, and if we invite all the people that are concerned concerned from a change from a topic then we have so much uh, knowledge and so much energy in the room that we always find the right solutions. So another passion of mine is to create that space in which, with space I mean workshops and conferences or meetings, in which people can speak up and in which people dare to tell the truth. <laughs> Because if you ask your employees, they know exactly what could be improved. They know exactly what does not work. They know exactly where time and money is wasted, you know, but nobody asks them. So to create a space in which people can speak up, um, a secure space, psycho psychological security, that they are not punished <laughs> if they tell the truth. <laughs> and from there to, to develop solutions together. Right. So it's, I think it's about creating that space, which is crucial, yes. in which the, yeah, the awareness and the consciousness that is needed can, can emerge, can arrive. So I, I feel bound to ask this because I think that's a very important point. Because what you've just described there about how important it is to create the space but also creating the safety that rests on an underlying assumption that organizational life is, is not safe to be able to speak up as an employee, that the culture is potentially not allowing that to happen. So tell us a little bit about, I mean, mm -hmm. I'd like to get your sense of your philosophy of kind of how we've got to here, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Why is it we have these organizations where it's unsafe? 
And then how yeah. the second part of the question is really, how do you even create that sense of safety for people in a culture where perhaps historically they feel unsafe and they feel fear when they think about doing this? Yeah, it starts with the constellation that most of the, the organizations and the companies nowadays are still organized as power hierarchies, where all the power is, is together at, in one person. The power to design the game, <laughs> the power to decide, and the, the, the power to run. So if you compare it with, uh, with a football game, it's like if, if one player can plays and is at the same time the arbitrary, and it makes and he makes also the rules of the game. So, right. And this makes and this makes it for another player who has not that power very dangerous because he has all the power. So he can he can change the rules. He can throw you out. He can do everything. You know. It's it's a little bit like like feudalism. It's mm -hmm. there. Are, it's. These systems are feudalistic <laughs> systems right, where all the right. power is, <laughs> is at the top. And this is dangerous because there are no rules. There is, there are no, there is not a system uh, that, that would support you to defend your rights, you know, like we have in most of democratic systems in the Western world. Right. You have a right, you know. And this is not there in organizations. They can more or less do what, what they want. And, and this is dangerous. This is not mm -hmm. a safe place. So, yeah. Right. So how do you create that safety when you first come into an organization? I mean, how, where do you begin? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, you cannot make directly safety. What you can do and what I do is I invite people to speak up and then I facilitate the conversations in the way that it's, it, it fosters transparency and I try to avoid guilt that something mm. like he, this is because of he or her doing this, you know, it's because of so. So just to also, this is also my, my systemic background, you know, there is no guilt. Right. <laughs> it is like it is because something happened. So, so, and basically the security or the safety, it, um, it's, it's a product that the, the people in the in the space that they see, oh, I could speak up, and maybe they were a little bit more honest than usual, and they make the experience that nothing happens. Mm. And if they make the experience, okay, I, I told now a little bit something that's maybe a little bit dangerous <laughs> to say, and they realize, oh, nothing happens, people are okay with this. Then the next time they try it a little bit more. And if they realize, oh, it's okay, nothing happens, they try it more and more and more. So it's it's only but this is this is the way they have to experience that nothing happens 
mm. um, yeah. if they speak up. And that's my job to to make sure that nothing happens. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. As a, as a facilitator and coach. Yeah. And I, I and so we've talked there about the employees and creating the safety so that they can open up. I'm interested in the safety at the top now for the the person in power. Maybe it's the CEO, probably is the CEO, or even the senior team. Because I know in these conversations that I've had with senior executives, and there's a there's an idiom that they use in particularly in in England, which is oh, we can't do that. So they feel fear too, because they feel like it's opening a, so opening a can of worms, like, and we can't get the lid back on. It's like, we're going to open up this, this conversation, and then we're going to have to do something about it. What if something comes up that we can't, for whatever reason, move on? How do you deal with the fear at the top to even encourage leaders to step into this space with you? I mean, at, at the end of the day, how much courage someone mm. has or takes uh, is depend on the risk. Right. He sees in it. So if it's a high risk, then he needs more courage than if it's low risk. So to, to discuss with him, what, what are really the risks that you are going to do if you do that? So are they really that high as you think? So, and if they are really high, um, can we reduce the risk with some measures? Is it possible to reduce the the risk? And if not, to to work on the benefit, so of the possible benefits, so that if that it's visible, that it's it's conscious, okay, we take a lot of risk, but we have also a big benefit if it works. So then people are also willing to take uh, more risk. It's like in, in the investment. Huh? If, you, if you take high risk, you have a high interest. <laughs> right, so. right. So walk us through a little bit about the benefits of this. I mean, what kind of outcomes have you like managed to facilitate with your clients? I mean, what is in this? Because, you know, if there's any like senior execs listening to this, they're probably thinking, well, mm-hmm. okay, this is something I'm going to need courage for. And I kind of get a sense of what this could potentially do. But I'd love you to kind of be quite explicit about what is the difference between organizations that do democratize in this way and organizations that don't? Yeah. Yeah, the, the huge advantage, and, and it's huge, is that with democratization, you make every person in the company becomes a potential change agent. Mm. So you, in, with direct democracy, you invite every person to not only do the job, not only be responsible for the job they are assigned to, but to think also and to observe also the system in which they do the job. And if they see that something is, can, can be done better, that they take initiative and they change it. So the huge advantage is you, you give the employees a third option. There is the saying, love it, change it or leave it. <laughs> if they cannot, if they cannot change it, 
they only have the option to go if they don't love it, you know. Right. And with direct democracy, you give the option to change it. If they if they if they see that uh, that something could be done better, and this is a huge advantage. I mean, uh, imagine that everybody <laughs> is uh, is a change agent in your company, and if if he or her she sees something that, that there is something wasted or there is a chance to do something much better, much more efficient, much more productive, and they start initiative and say, "Hey guys, look, let's do that better." Then um, imagine how how agile yes. uh, this company becomes. Uh, it can change very 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 fast in this way. Yeah. And that basically this is <laughs> now I come to my book that I wrote during the lockdown. Basically, this system, this uh, direct democracy, um, which we have here in Switzerland. This system that every citizen can change the system mm. if she or he has a good idea and enough followers who say yes, <laughs> let's do right. that. This changed Switzerland, which was the poorest country in Europe, 1848, when Switzerland was founded. It was the poorest country in, in Europe, to accord, according to the best country report, to the best <laughs> country in the world, you know. Right. And it's the system. It's this system that you change, that you give the opportunity that everybody can change the system if she or he thinks or sees a, a possible a chance to improve it. Mm. And this is extremely valuable. Mm. No, I, I, I'm totally with you. As you're speaking, I, I hear the energy and the enthusiasm and can kind of just imagine the difference that, because it almost like democratizing in that way empowers, doesn't it? It inspires every individual working within the organization. So I, yeah. I, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I wanted to, one, one thing to add. That's the um, one level of, of advantage or of benefit that um, there are more changes and more improvement. But another thing is, which is also very, super important and super beneficial is that people, they engage more with the company. If I can change the system, I'm much more connected with that system. And if I'm, much, if I'm more connected, I, my identification is higher. And with the identification, then my engagement is higher. And with engagement, is the, the productivity at the end <laughs> is higher. And, <laughs> and this is, this is a, also a huge um, benefit for the company if you have people who are really engaged and it's they identify with the company and with the purpose and with the community and hey we are uh, yeah so it's, it's both it's the material part with a lot of um, improvements how the system works but it's also this more soft part that people identify more with, with the company and are at the end more engaged and more committed to, to what they are doing. Now, I want to ask you something, because there's some language we use here at Sacred Changemakers that you don't often hear in business. And what I, what I want to ask you is, you know, one of the things we talk about here in our community is that business is often found to be like a waste ground of the soul. But what you're describing 
and your work, right? What I'm interested in, it's almost like I could say, it's like you're bringing the soul back into organizational life. What would you say to that? Yeah, it reminds me. <laughs> Absolutely. It reminds me to uh, a project, uh, a mandate that I had. It was a company, it was 30 architects. And the founder, it was very hierarchical, very feudalistic. And the founder was uh, 57, and he, he asked me to help him with the strategy process. And during the strategy process, we realized that he is going to retire in a couple of years and he has he had no successor and then i proposed him hey how how about if if the employees would take over the company if they would buy the company from you and if they would continue together self-organize in a democratic way and they would continue your life work and, he, and then he was, uh, he liked that idea very much. And we worked four years, four years. And, and, and they did it. And now they got uh, the HR award, the Swiss HR award, 22. They got a couple of weeks ago for this project. And during the, the pitch and the interviews, they were asked, um, could you imagine to work in another company? And then all of the employees, they said, no, I wow. cannot imagine to work for another company anymore. Mm -hmm. so, and and that's touching. It, that's yeah. what, what you say with the soul, you know? Yes. <laughs> the commitment is so high <laughs> and the, the connection and the bonding that they say, I cannot imagine to work in another company anymore. <laughs> right, yeah. right. And isn't that the way work is supposed to be? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, the, there's a part of me that's kind of uh, a little startled that this is so unusual in organizational life, right? Um, and yet it is. But my hope, just like our title today, that, um, you know, democratizing organizations to democratize the world, I also notice how there's a blurring of boundaries now around organizational life. When I think back to the like late 80s, early 90s, when I first started my career, a lot of hierarchy, a lot of very clear boundaries between who is inside the organization mm -hmm. and who is outside. But I feel mm -hmm. that that's kind of shifted during my career. I mean, have you noticed anything in that space? Because how does an organization that becomes a true democracy, which is what you're taking a stand for, Ralph, how does yeah. that then impact kind of in the external mm -hmm. space? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think the, the biggest change in, in structure, and this is a structure issue, where are the boundaries? Mm -hmm. um, where I'm, what I'm responsible for. Yes. <laughs> Is the change is that you go from a job organization to a role-based organization. That's a big trend. And, and also is part of, a, of, of the democratizing project. So that people, they don't have one job. Right. But they, they energize different roles in the, 
in the in the organization. I mean, also traditional organization can have this. If you have a job and 30% you work in a project, then you have also two roles. You have your, your 70% main job and you have a role in a project. So, And if you have different projects, then you have different roles. And a role-based organization is an organization that is constructed like this, that, that you ask, okay, for doing that, uh, purpose, which is our purpose, for example, marketing or product development or whatever it is, what roles do we need in the team? And then you energize, you, you, you describe these roles and you say, okay, and how much time do we need? Is, is it a full time or is it a 30% or 20% or so? And then the casting <laughs> of these roles um, takes place. And people energize then different roles. And so to answer your questions, this helps to make the, the boundaries um, more, I would say, flexible, because you can have you can energize 70%, 70% of your time roles in this company, and you can make 30% in another company or working by your own. So it makes it much easier like this. Mm. You can say, okay, I have here a role and I have here a role and here. Mm. Actually, this is very natural because in daily life, we have also a lot of different roles, you know? I'm a husband, I'm a father with my daughter, yes. <laughs> I'm a car driver out there. <laughs> we have tons of roles, you know? <laughs> it's very natural. But in organization, you have one job. <laughs> the future is that also in organization, you energize different roles. So. Mm. With very clear responsibilities. And, so. and you mentioned that. comes that, to my mind. Yes. And you mentioned that the future of business, right? You just said like the future. Mm -hmm. So I'd love you to give us a sense of, I mean, what is your vision? of the future of business. Because my sense is the work you're doing today is actually in service of that future. So give us a sense of your vision of the future of business. Yeah, one is that we create organizations in which everybody energizes roles which she or he loves to energize. Mm -hmm that everybody does what in, in, in the core is, is my purpose, that my, my life purpose and, and the roles in, that I energize in the organization, that, that they match, that, that I can realize myself <laughs> in right. the organization, in the work I do. So that's, that's, that's the... The, the, the vision on a, on a personal level. We have an organization where everybody does what he loves to do or she loves to do. Because then she's also best in it, you know? <laughs> what, right. Because what you love to do, automatically you become good at because you are interested in it. Mm. And the second is, I always said in, in my mandates, I say, I say direct democracy is the chance, the opportunity to create your paradise. Because you can create the system. 
So, okay, then let's create the paradise together. <laughs> if, you, if you have the power to change the system. So, mm. so that we create paradise together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very compelling. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, you know, I, I'm also aware that, you know, we live within nested systems. So, you know, there's our family system, there's our organizational system, there's our, you know, well, it could even be like our team, our department inside of the organization, then there's the whole organization, then the organization is also situated in the cultural system, Absolutely. right? So we're, there's all these like different kind of levels of system as well. And it can get very complex very quickly. But I, I really want to ask you uh, if we kind of took a, if we take a step back now from organizational life and almost kind of come to like a 10,000 foot view, right? Of the role of an organization in our world today, right? Because there's no doubt we're living through some challenging times. There's a lot of uncertainty out there. And I know, you know, through my network of leaders, there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of, there's some chaos. There's definitely complexity, but there's a growing awareness of what the world needs from business. And I'd love to get a sense, Ralph, of what you believe the role that business can play in that bigger system in the future of our world. What might that be? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if the if it's in fact a huge difference of how it is, or isn't it more a way to look at the business? Because if you ask managers or people what are the business for, the most common answer is to make money. Right. And then I say, mm, okay, <laughs> is this really the is this really the, the purpose, or is it not a result of creating value? Mm. You get money. Someone is ready to pay if he or she gets value. Then, I, I, if I get value, then I'm ready to pay. So. Payment is a result and not a goal. Right. So what I would like to, um, to see more <laughs> in the business world that you speak less about the goal of earning money, but more of which value do we create for the society, mm. for the world? What is the value? And then we are near to the purpose What's our purpose? Our purpose is to create that, that value in the world. And for this value, we will, be, we will get paid. And the more value we create, <laughs> the more value, the more money we will earn. So, mm. so, it, so just to shift, to shift the perspective away from the result to, the, to what produces the result. And this is value. Right. right. So, mm. I love that. I do. And it makes a lot of sense. And I'm really intrigued to know how much of an appetite do leaders have for shifting into that value and away from like just 
money and profit and stakeholder <laughs> share. Yeah. Um, I mean, how willing, how open do you find the market to be today? You know, as opposed to maybe, I'm going to say before the lockdown in pandemic, have you noticed a change here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Regarding the first part of your question, if I come and I say, forget money, focus on value, I think this is not the way because mm. the the money is is a is a valuable way to measure the amount of value value that right. you create. So I don't say forget money. It, the money is a result and it's a, an important indicator of how much value you, you create. I just, I just say, put the focus on the value that you create and then measure the value with the, with the money you get. <laughs> so that helps the managers to, to see both. So if right. you just say, you oh, forget the money, then they say, hey, no, yeah, we have to have money. What yeah. can we do without money? And they are right. I mean, money is the most abstract measurement <laughs> of value. Yes. So how do you help organizations expand their perception of value um, away from just, you know, the result, as you've described, the financial? I mean, are there any like key elements that you can think about? Because I know we talk about like the triple bottom line, you know, that's something that's Mm -hmm. been you know, in parlance for an awfully long time, even before I know I I had like examples of organizations that were actually living into that. But what I what I notice, um, you know, with kind of quite a few organizations here in the United States is that they're very good at speaking to value in their marketing, in their mission, in their vision but actually aligning the day-to-day activities and the organizational life to embody those values is very often the greatest challenge, I think. And so I just wonder in your experience, you know, if you've noticed that or you've noticed something different. I see here the link to this role-based organizational structure. If you, if you build this, you have to ask, or you start with asking, what is the purpose of this field of responsibility? Or we call it domain. Mm-hmm. And then you, you have to start at, at, at the biggest. So what is the purpose of this company? And then you ask, okay, and for to, to realize this purpose, and purpose is creating value, huh? rich value. And and to realize this, which departments, huh, which subdomains do we use to create that? And then you, may, you ask the same question for each domain or each department, <laughs> each circle. You say exactly the same. What is our purpose? Mm. What is the value that we create? And with this value, we contribute to the overall value. And this is fractal. You do it again and again and again until you are down by this individual role. And even there you think, okay, what is your value that you create? And what do you need? (laughs) So it's a kind of 
input-output thinking. What is the value that you give and what do you need for this? Mm. Great. And this, this helps, this helps to, to, yeah, to start to shift the focus on, mm. on purpose, on value creation. Lovely. Okay, Ralph, um, I know you have a book that you've already written um, that is being translated into English. Can you just tell us a little bit about your book, Democratizing Organizations? Because I think it might be something our leader, our audience would be interested in. Yes. Oh, <laughs> I love to do. Yeah. Um, the, the, the idea of the book uh, was born when I realized that there are different, different approaches of how to foster self-organization in organizations. So we had, we had uh, different frameworks, sociocracy, holacracy, sociocracy 3.0, management 3.0, and so on, agile, scaled agile framework, and so different frameworks, all with the same purpose. To, to foster self-organizations. And then in discussion with a friend who knows very good how Switzerland works, in the discussion, he said, suddenly he said, but hey, wait a moment, we have a system like this. It's Switzerland. <laughs> it's the only country in the world that is really bottom-up constructed, which is really self-organized, where the people have the, the, the power, the late, the, the ultimate power. So. And, and then I was fascinated. And I realized, oh, it's true. I never thought of that. <laughs> I'm living here in this country, but I never thought of that. And then I started to analyze how does this system work? And this is basically the book. The mm -hmm. book is, it describes how this genius system, which, which works so well since 170 years, and was improved and improved and improved all the time. How does it work? What are the key elements? 12 key elements. And I describe these elements and how you can transfer it to organizations. Mm. What's the benefit of every element? How does it work? So, so the definition, how does it work? What is the benefit and how, how you can transfer it and introduce it in organizations? Mm. That's... That's the, the main part of the book. And the second part is a, an example of a, a project that I describe in detail how we did it. And, and some interviews with, with people and managers who are working in that company now. So. Great. So if any of our listeners, if you're interested in Ralph's book, you can actually find it down below in the show notes. So we've actually put a link there so that you can actually purchase. Um, and we'll put a link actually to purchase the German version and also the uh, English uh, language as well. Okay, Ralph, so I'm noticing the time. So I'm going to bring our conversation to a close with my final question which is, you know, we've talked a lot here about democratizing organizations and the importance of that, not only for today, but for the future of business. And I'd just love to know, you know, if there's something that's kind of bubbling for you, some, maybe some final words of wisdom for our listeners, maybe it's something that you wanted to express that we haven't got around to doing so far, what might it be? 
<laughs> I, I, I did a post in LinkedIn shortly where I said, mindfulness, uh, mindfulness is on an individual level, the capability to observe yourself, the state of yourself on all